Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. All right, hey everyone. How's everyone doing? Having a good morning so far? Hey, I'm excited. We're uh, continuing this series called Reset. And man, if there was ever a time to, for a reset, man, this, this year, 2021, just feels like it would be just the perfect time for a reset. You know what I'm talking about? Like, but like, it's crazy though, because uh, the, the clocks turned, the calendar turned over, and I felt exactly the same. Did anyone else feel that? You were, you were kind of hoping that things would be different, hoping that things would be better, but then they just weren't, and you're looking at more or less of the same, maybe potential chaos this year. I, I don't know. But um, I can't think of a better time for a series like this where we look at what it looks like to have a reset, to reset our priorities, to reset our goals, to reset our dreams, to reset them away from what we want and what our will is and to set our sights on what God's will is for our life and how his ways are higher than our ways, even though uh, it doesn't appear so sometimes. But we'll find throughout the series that whenever we submit to his will, it brings about our good and ultimately it brings about his glory. And that's, that's our goal as, as followers of Christ is to, to glorify the Lord, to worship him with everything that we are as living sacrifices. And so uh, to kind of begin this year and with this series, we've been looking at stories in Genesis. And so today we're going to look at the uh, kind of like the ultimate reset. We're going to look at the story of the flood where God just totally reset the world. And so we're going to look at this story and, and learn a few things about what, what God has to say about sin and about uh, redemption and repentance and just kind of a, a reset. So uh, to start off, I want to just kind of share with you uh, kind of a, a comparison and a contrast a little bit. Um, but a few, uh, just recently, I uh, was in my kitchen and um, our babies uh, love bananas and oranges and everything like that. And so we have a fruit basket and so they go get, uh, it's, it's on their level, so they can go get a, a piece of fruit if they want to, a banana or an orange or whatever. And so I um, can't remember who it was, whether it was Katie or Samuel, but they asked me for uh, an orange. And so uh, I went to go uh, get an orange, so I pull out the fruit basket. It's kind of uh, open shelving a little bit under our kitchen island. So I pull it out, and I'm looking through, and I, I pull out this orange, and underneath it, I discover something. So underneath, uh, I, I pull this thing out very carefully, and uh, half of it was a, just a beautiful, just beautiful orange, uh, color orange, in case you were wondering, uh, just, just beautiful orange, just like it was supposed to be. The top half of it uh, was a slightly bluish, greenish color, and it had little white spots around the edges. I had discovered some mold, right? Um, so I, uh, 
I went over, put it in the trash can. I took out the fruit basket. Uh, I don't know how long it had been in there, but uh, it was, it had, the residue had kind of gotten all over the other fruit. And so I'm, I'm like taking the basket out. I'm washing the fruit. I'm, I'm looking, I'm taking the, the, the stuff off the shelves. I'm wiping down the shelves. And, and so I get everything cleaned up. I get everything put back. I, I take the rags. I throw the, the rags in the trash. And then I, I take the trash outside. You know what I'm saying? And um, man, what is it about mold? But it is just repulsive. Like it is disgusting. And so as I was thinking about this message that it talks so much about uh, sin and reset and uh, God just basically wiping everything clean, I, I was just thinking, sin is a lot like mold. I'm going to kind of use this comparison a little bit as we go through. So uh, if you're uncomfortable now, uh, sorry. Something just, just talking about it makes you just want to wash your hands. There's hand sanitizer out there. On your way out, just, just lather up, okay? Just lather up. Uh, so sin is, is like mold. Um, just, so just think about it for a second. When you discover mold, right, uh, it's a little shocking. It's a little embarrassing. It's like, man, do I not take care of my kitchen well enough? Do I go, not go through my food uh, quickly enough? Like, how long has that been in there neglected by me to the point where it could just sprout mold spores, so it's a little shocking. It's a little embarrassing. It's definitely gross. When you discover sin, whether it's in you or, or someone else, maybe especially someone you love, it's a little shocking. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's gross. And either way, you feel like this. You feel like you have to deal with it just like this. Like you're, like you're unclean for even dealing with it. And the only way to deal with it is just to just completely scour everything. Get the bleach out. Get the, the harshest chemicals you can think of. Get your hazmat suit on. You go back in. You take care of it, right? Sin is a lot like mold. We can't be in the presence of mold. For a lot of reasons, one for our health, right? But then just it's just disgusting. So I, I want you to picture it this way: God cannot be in the presence of sin. I want you. To, I want to read a psalm to you. Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter five, verse four. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Just kind of get this picture of what the psalmist paints. Psalm chapter four, chapter five, verse four. He says, oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Sin cannot be in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord definitely does not want to be in the presence of of sin. Obviously, he sent Jesus to earth, to the darkness, but he wasn't going to stay there. He sent Jesus on a mission to clean us, to cleanse us, to save us. But if we are in sin, Kind of like this. So uh, this is a baptistry. Inside is full of uh, water. Uh, it's nice and warm water. And uh, it's very pleasant. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit in a minute. But imagine, okay, 
Imagine if this pool, this baptistry, didn't have water in it. Imagine it had uh, that moldy orange that I found and uh, all other kinds of moldy, disgusting, you know, black mold, you know, water. Just imagine like you look in there and it's not water. It's just like brown and black and it's got food chunks in there. Just, mold, just, just filthy. Imagine if I were to go down in there and be immersed in that, come down, come back up. Not only would you not want to touch me, you you probably would not want to be in this big big same room with me. You just, you would not want to be in my presence whatsoever. That's a dramatic picture didn't expect y'all to laugh. But I want you to paint, I just want you to just picture this, that when we live in sin, that's how we look to God. Because God does not want to be in the presence of sin. Sin cannot be in the presence of the Lord. That's, that's how we look to God. If we're, just, if we're just totally immersed in our sin, staying in sin, we are repulsive. Because mold is repulsive and sin is repulsive. But God loves us. Even though we are repulsive, which is why he sent Jesus, which is why he longs to redeem us, which is why he longs to, just like a father, a loving father longs to cleanse and wash uh, their, their child who's been playing out in the mud and the dirt, just like they long to just uh, refresh them and clean them, our father wants to do the same for us. He wants to do the same for the world. And that's exactly what he did. In the story of the flood, we read about God's uh, view of sin. We read about God's view of judgment and how he deals with sin. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, you can go ahead and pull those out. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. It's right there at the beginning. Uh, the easiest series to teach through because you don't have to go through and look at all the, the scriptures and all that stuff. It's right there. Genesis chapter 6. Your Bible might be different than mine, but mine's on page 6, which is very convenient. All right, so in this story, we're going to look, like I mentioned, just at God's, uh, just the story of, of Noah and his family, and, and just, we're going to learn a couple things about sin and about how God deals with sin in the world. All right, uh, the first thing we learn about sin from this story is that sin, it can happen quickly. Sin happens quickly. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, says this. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That sounds dramatic, doesn't it? I mean, surely he's like exaggerating. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them, the world, people, and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. It was so bad. People were so sinful 
that God was sorry that he ever made them and it broke his heart. See, we're only six pages into the story. And because of sin and how quickly it spreads, we've gotten to this point because sin happens quickly. And so kind of going back to this this idea of, of, of mold, right? If you think about the way mold works is we don't really see it, right? It kind of happens quietly, internally, maybe even in the dark. And all of a sudden, like, bam, we discover it and it's just, it's rampant and it, it ruins its surroundings. It ruins uh, just, it, it ruins itself. It ruins maybe even a part of the house or maybe even the whole house by the time you discover it. Just all of a sudden, destruction, corruption. When you think about sin, where does sin usually start? It starts in the quiet places. It starts where it's unseen in your heart, in your mind. I mean, just look at the words. Everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's where it started. Think about the, the, the first sin, Adam and Eve. Pride, she wanted it. She lusted after that knowledge. Cain and Abel, filled with jealousy, started here before he ever raised a fist or a rock or whatever it was against his brother. It starts quiet, but bam, it spreads fast. If you're not careful, it can spread uh, throughout your whole self. It can spread to your household because sin happens very, very quickly. And its effects are devastating because sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. So I used to work on maintenance at my college. And uh, we would do all kinds of different things, getting apartments ready for students. And so the most annoying thing we ever dealt with, most intrusive thing we ever dealt with was mold. Because you don't, you don't realize it, but then all of a sudden there's mold and then the spores kind of spread to uh, the air system and then it kind of just goes throughout the whole apartment and it's just crazy. So there was one summer we were working on an apartment um, and they discovered mold. And so we had to go figure out where the mold was coming from. And the, the first thing you do when there, you discover that there's mold is you, you get out of there. It is so inconvenient. Like we had to move four girls out of that apartment into another apartment. Like they, they could not stay there anymore. It became unlivable. It was inconvenient because there's consequences, right? So then we, were, we started on this journey of trying to locate the mold. And so before we can even deal with it, we have to get masked up and gloved up and all this different stuff, goggled up, and we go in there and search for it. And so we discover it's in the bathroom. We discover it's somewhere with the vanity. And then we discover it's somewhere behind the vanity. So we rip the vanity out, the sinks, all of that stuff. We rip all of that out. We discover it's behind the interior wall, somewhere between the interior wall and the exterior wall. So now we're breaking through walls, all to find this. So we break through the exterior wall and we're, we're looking at, uh, we're breaking through the interior wall and now we're looking at the exterior wall. It's wet, it's damp. That's where the mold was coming from. That's where all of it was coming from, was just a little crack 
in the exterior wall. Started small, spread quickly, but the consequences, <laughs> they were widespread. It affected everyone. It affected that, that living space. It was so much effort to pull all that stuff out, to rip it apart. But sometimes that's what it takes. So the way that you deal with mold is you go back in, you rip it out, you wipe it clean, you get all the, the, the chemicals and you, you scour it, right? And if you're, uh, depending on who you are, you scour it again because you want to make sure it is good and clean. And that's how you deal with sin. That's how you should deal with sin. You get out and then you wipe it clean. And that's exactly what God did. All right, so let's keep reading this this story in Genesis. We're going to skip down a little bit, a couple of verses. We're going to be in verse 11. Genesis chapter 6, starting verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was full of violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. In case you uh, missed it, The world's a pretty evil place right now. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, get this phrase, right? I will wipe them out along with the earth. I will wipe them out along with the earth. And that's exactly what God did. Everyone, all living beings, all the animals, completely wiped out. God spared Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, eight in all, plus two of a kind, all the animals. You know, the story of the ark, uh, Noah building the ark and, and bringing the animals onto the ark so that life could continue after God wiped everything clean. He got them out of there put them in a protective ark, sealed them in so they would be delivered and saved. And then God got to work. Floodgates opened. The heavens burst forth. The fountains of the deep came forth. And God wiped the surface clean. He scoured it. At one point in scripture, uh, it even says that the water was so high that it, it covered the tips of the mountains. Can you imagine how devastating that would have been to the earth? Nothing could have survived, and nothing did. Now, we hear that story, and if you think about it, doesn't it sound a little dramatic? Doesn't it sound a little overkill? I mean, surely they're exaggerating, right? Not not everyone died. Not not all the creatures died. Not, not the whole earth was wiped clean. I mean, that's not, I feel like that's not the God that I, I know and love, that I read about. A God full of, of love and grace and mercy. I mean, where, where's that God? It's the same God. Because God is full of grace and full of mercy. But God takes sin seriously. Jesus took sin seriously. He took it so seriously that he 
was willing to die to take our sin. (laughs) And that's what makes our salvation, that's what makes God's grace and God's mercy, that's what makes it so incredibly amazing. It's because God, yes, is a God of love and justice and mercy, but because God is a God of love, he's also a God of justice and wrath. And he will take vengeance on his enemies. Sounds dramatic, but that's who God is. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that God saved me. Pulled me out of the muck and the mire and the, and the, the grossness of sin. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews paints this picture of just how seriously God takes sin. I want to read this to you. And just, just, just take this in. You, you want to read it on the screen or just listen. Just, just hear these words, these powerful, powerful words that the author of Hebrews writes about God's view of sin. Hebrews 10, 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, There's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. At that point, what else do you do? There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. It makes you nervous reading that, doesn't it? For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, on Jesus, and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy. And by doing so, have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit, who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. And he sums up with this phrase, verse 31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of of the living God, when it's just you and your sinful self (laughs) and a righteous and holy God. That is terrifying. That is terrible. And it is. It is scary. Here's the thing. There's good news. You see, sin has a cure His name is Jesus. Sin has a cure because regardless of of God's uh, justice and his mercy mercy and his, his wrath and his love and all those different things that make God who he is, he loves us enough to have a plan of salvation for us. He makes us a promise. He made uh, Noah and his family a promise. So uh, kind of wrap up this story. The flood happens. Okay, 
it's, I can't remember how many days and nights. It was months and months that they were in the ark because it was, uh, you know, 40 days and nights of rain. And then it was just the waters there. And then eventually the waters began to recede. And then they were stuck while the earth d- continued to dry. So it was just this really, really long period of time that they were in the ark. But finally, things are dry enough. Life is sustainable. So they leave the ark. And then God makes them this promise. This is what he says. Chapter 9, Genesis 9, verse 12. He said, Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Here it is. When I send clouds to cover the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy the earth. That's the promise that he made to Noah and his descendants. Catch this. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember. The eternal covenant between God and every living thing on the earth. I love that phrase. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember my promise. Yes, the earth was wiped clean. But when I see that rainbow, when I see that sign that I have set for you, I will remember my promise. God made this promise to Noah, but God also makes a promise to you and me through his son, Jesus. The Apostle Peter paints this picture about what that promise looks like in relation to the flood. It's such a beautiful picture. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Okay, Christ is that promise. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He is our ark. In him we are sealed. In him we are kept safe. In him we are brought home. That's how serious sin is, that Jesus was willing to die to save us. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building the boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water, okay, get this, this is so cool. That water is a picture of baptism that you and I partake in. It's a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body. Okay, it's not about uh, the water. It's not about uh, just, you know, uh, a ritual. It's not necessarily about that. But what does he say? Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. A conscience that has been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus through repentance, through belief, through our faith in him. It is effective, okay? This, this idea, this picture of baptism, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Because you see, here's what happens when we are baptized, okay? Paul writes this in Galatians, Galatians 3.27. He says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. I love that phrase. Have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You see, just like when God looked at the rainbow, whenever he saw it, he remembered his promise. God loves us so much that even though we come out of this cesspool of filth, we believe in Jesus, his sacrifice, his blood, because of what it did, because it took our sin away. It cleanses us, it washes us clean, It wipes away all of our uncleanness, our our sin, all of our our wickedness. So that, just like what Paul said, we put on Christ. And when God looks at us, because of that promise, when God looks at us, he doesn't see the filth. He doesn't see any of that. When he looks at us, because we were in Christ, he sees Jesus. So when God looks at us, and sees us wearing his son, he remembers his promise. He remembers his covenant with us. That's the story of the gospel. When Jesus was here, he said, all who believe in me, who put their trust in me, who follow me, will never die. They'll never be wiped out off the face of the earth. I mean, You may die a physical death. I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises. But in the eyes of God, you live with Jesus forever. You live with God forever. And that gives us hope. That brings us joy. That gives us strength. We do that by repentance, leaving that, that life of sin and saying yes to Jesus do that by believing in him, putting our trust and our faith in him. You know, the, the first sermon that Peter preached after Jesus had been uh, taken back into heaven, uh, his listeners were there and he preached this sermon and his listeners were, it says they were cut to the quick. They were cut to the heart. They were pierced. And they said, okay, okay, Peter, now what? What do we do? Peter said, repent. Repent and be baptized, be washed. You'll receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. You want to reset for this year? Man, just experience the glorious removal and wiping clean of sin through repentance. Through Jesus, it's a powerful, powerful promise. And that's what we celebrate today. So in just a moment, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, we're, and we're just going to have a time of uh, just reflection and prayer. Uh, the, the band's going to come out and lead us through another song. And um, before they start singing, they're, they're just going to we'll have some music and just some light music. But uh, maybe today you, you just, you feel like you need to leave the filth behind and repent. I invite you, if you want to, you can come, uh, maybe just kneel at the stage and, and pray, or maybe just stay where you are and pray, but 
right now, we want to give you a moment to be able to reflect, to repent, and just have some time with the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. Lord, we thank you for your son. The fact that he came to this world, and yet, Lord, even though he came to a sinful world, he himself was never unclean, was never sinful. Thank you, Lord, that he came. Because of his death and burial and resurrection, pulled us out of that sin and gave us life and hope and joy. Lord, that's what we thank you for. That's what we celebrate. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us even when we, Lord, are unlovable. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at East Ridge Church.